to Jesus Politics, where we bring the scriptures to life and leadership today. Happy Friday, and welcome to another episode of Jesus Politics in our journey through Exodus. This week, we looked at uh, Exodus chapters 4 and uh, up into chapter 5, and uh, really got to see Moses as he launched this mission that God had given him from the burning bush on the mountain um, in between Midian and Egypt there where he met God. It started off um, with the reading about him leaving Midian and asking his father-in-law for permission to take uh, his wife and his children and go to Egypt uh, to see. He, he told his father-in-law to see if his family uh, and his people were still alive uh, at that point. And um, so his father-in-law graciously gave him permission, told him to go in peace. And as he headed off, there's uh, a really difficult passage to interpret, to understand in this greater story that's going on. And that's this, as Moses is going to Egypt, he's not there yet. It says that God attacked him and tried to kill him. And were it not for the fact that his wife uh, intervened and circumcised Moses' son, um, the idea is that God would have attacked and killed Moses. That's really strange since God has just asked Moses to do this mission on God's behalf, that this is not Moses' idea. And so um, that's one that has a lot of Bible scholars scratching their heads. But um, I, I took that, that particular um, lesson this week and used it to, to kind of show different ways that we can find interpretations, especially nowadays when we've got the internet and connections all across the world at our fingertips, uh, in our phones, in our pockets. Uh, so the availability of information, information and perspectives, multiple perspectives, various perspectives is there. The challenge that we face that uh, people even 50 years ago uh, didn't face near as much as we do is trying to sift through all of that information and figure out what is helpful, what is accurate, um, what is good, and what just really isn't. And so uh, I, I, I talked about just the, the different eras of the, the church and Jewish culture, even before the, the Christian church was founded. Um, the Jews themselves had different eras and different ways of interpreting the scripture. So for us to just assume that there is one answer out there, one perspective, a Christian way of looking at that, or even if you're looking if you're thinking this is Old Testament, I want to know the Jewish way of interpreting that, you're going to be misinformed because there are multiple perspectives uh, from all of those different ways. Most of them uh, have been guided over time, though, because people of a certain generation in their context would view things one way. And then a hundred years later, in different contexts, people would look at the same scripture, the same story, the same passage, and learn um, and interpret that in other ways. And I think that's all helpful. Um, it's good to know kind of where the outer edges of 
that healthy interpretation are. And that helps you sort of spot the outliers, the ones that are um, people that come up with ideas that no one else shares at all. And no one else across all history has shared. Um, that's a, a little bit of a red flag for me. Um, not that it necessarily makes it wrong, but to, to say that there is more truth in the outlier than there is in all of the other interpretations that uh, have connection with one another is to say that everybody across all of history has been wrong um, until this one person you're looking at uh, finally came around and, and set everybody straight. Now, you can argue that Jesus sort of did that, but Jesus was also the Son of God. Um, so that's part of the perspective in there. Anyway, that being a difficult passage, that being a difficult question, uh, different, not, not an easy thing for us to just read and understand, uh, and certainly not uh, easy for us to then figure out how to apply to our life. Um, that those are great opportunities to go out and look what's some of the Jewish interpretations of this. What's a uh, traditional Catholic interpretation of this? What's a uh, older 18th, 19th century Protestant um, understanding of this? What's a uh, contemporary mainline Protestant uh, interpretation of that? And then um, looking at some of the sort of non-denominational, more celebrity preachers and some of their interpretations as well. Uh, because there's validity in, in all of that. And uh, if, it's, if it pops up on your Google search, uh, especially anywhere near the top, somebody's paying attention to it. And if it's, it's written in blogs or things like that, oftentimes there are, are good comments that are, are put below. Um, sometimes there's not helpful comments as well but it helps you understand there's a dialogue, there's a discussion that's going on around a lot of these issues. Um, and especially where it's, it's tricky in the scriptures. So that, that was the sort of preamble to getting to Egypt and Moses got to practice on his father-in-law, let me and my family go, um, had this run-in with God and then he gets to Egypt and uh, goes up to Pharaoh. Of course, Aaron is with him doing the speaking. Moses is telling Aaron what to say. And Aaron gets up and is the spokesman um, for this operation. And uh, they, they come out pretty strong and just say, the God of the Hebrew people has told us we are to go. So let us go. And Pharaoh, uh, who is the king, the ruler of this, land and uh, definitely the ruler over all these people that have been considered enslaved and in bondage uh, for generations. He, he toys with them just a little bit and, um, and doesn't have them executed right there on the spot for being so brazen and bold. Um, but he just says, I don't know who this God is. And what are you guys doing here anyway? Talking about going off. If everybody went off, you know, who'd be there left to do the work that we need done? So you two get back to work, give this up. And so when Moses and Aaron's first attempts of coming out strong didn't work, 
then they start the pleading with him. And, and that's where, when you go back to what God told Moses on the mountain, the words, he said, I'm giving you these words, and you pass them on to Pharaoh. Moses seems to toy with those words a little bit because he again says, our God wants us to go out in the wilderness, but he says, if we do not, he's going to kill us. Um, and I don't know if that's him kind of thinking back to that moment he had with that very difficult passage that we just talked about in his own experience and then attributing that to if we make this God mad, he's going to kill us all. That's not the words that God gave Moses uh, to say to Pharaoh. And so Moses, in hoping that this will draw pity, draw mercy from him, uh, realizes very quick that it backfires. And instead, Pharaoh gets angry. And Pharaoh says, no, you definitely are not going. And not only that, I don't want to hear this from you or from anybody else. So we're going to make the work that all your people are doing even harder. They're going to have to keep up the quota, but they're not going to be helped uh, by being given straw. And so this is all fairly familiar territory. If you've read through the book of Exodus or seen one of the movie adaptations, no more straw for the bricks. You've got to figure something out. But anyway, it gets harder. But when you get into the text there again, some of the things that the stories don't, or, or the movie adaptations, um, or storybook adaptations, if you read this from when you were a, a younger person, they don't always bring out all the nuances that, that come across. And so Pharaoh tells his taskmasters to make their labor extra hard, and especially on the men, which raised a little flag in my mind as I was reading that, because when you go back again to God's words to Moses about this, uh, God told Moses, say please, you know, at, at the outset, mind your manners, and that Pharaoh was still going to say no. So is, even though Moses' plans and sort of the people's, the Hebrew people's plans at this point um, are not working out, it's still following God's plans as he shared that uh, quite closely. And at the end of that plan, as they were leaving, God said that the women were going to plunder the Egyptians, that they were going to go house to house uh, to their neighbors, to their landlords, and ask for gold, silver, jewels, wealthy things to take them out into the wilderness uh, when they go out to worship God. So Pharaoh is focused uh, again on the men, on the males, uh, just as his father, uh, the Pharaoh of when Moses was born, was focused on killing the male children and not paying attention to the women. But God consistently is working through the women of this story uh, to claim victory. That's not in, in the plans right here um, of Moses and Aaron and the, the leaders of the Hebrew, which I'm going to assume are all men at that point. They're looking for that victory right now, and they're not getting it. And God told them they weren't going to get it. Um, but I think there's a lot of disappointment and frustration that comes out uh, in the last reading that we had there um, from yesterday, which really portrays what happens to us when we're trying our best to do what God asks us to do, but it's not working out the way that we thought it would in our minds and in our hearts. Even if God warns us and tells us, 
uh, like Jesus told his disciples, the road's going to be hard. You're going to you're going to have to sacrifice and give up a lot of different things, um, but you're going to get more back in the kingdom, and you're going to be persecuted on top of that. Um, so we we have many times in Scripture that understanding that God does call us uh, to serve Him in specific ways, and that just because we are are doing or are very, coming very close to serving and doing just what he says doesn't mean that we're going to experience immediate victory and immediate success. And I think part of the problem with this and with all of these passages together, all the way back from when Moses was just practicing with his father-in-law saying, you know, let my people go. And his father-in-law was gracious and said, yes. And Moses thought, hey, maybe I can do this after all. Um, all of those little incidents that have gone on. And this is really, this is the first day. This is the first attempt of speaking to Pharaoh. And there's going to be many more attempts um, at this. There is this sense that um, we're looking for success. We want to see things accomplished. We want to see our lives and the lives of those we care about better. Sometimes we even want to see the lives of those that we don't particularly care about better because we know that's kind of a Christian thing uh, to do, to think, to feel, but it doesn't always work that way. And you can look, you don't have to look any further than the ministry of Jesus himself. He experienced failure and rejection left and right long before he came to the cross, but his greatest victory uh, was there when everybody in the world was rejecting him and he stuck with it because he knew that was God's plan. And so it's a mind shift here that Moses, and not just Moses, as you read through it, you see uh, it's Moses and the Hebrew leaders. There's this group uh, that came out in that last reading who were foremen, who worked under the Egyptian taskmasters, but they were Hebrew people who were keeping their own people down essentially. Um, which I, I think in some ways would be very similar to the tax collectors of the New Testament, those who are working for the oppressive government, keeping their own people down. Um, I'm sure the, the Hebrews did not like those foremen at all. And those foremen found themselves stuck in the middle, and they were the ones that were beaten. They were the ones that were initially uh, persecuted, according to the text here, um, for... Moses and Aaron basically pulling this stunt. They were beaten as an example. Um, so they would then hopefully take that out on the rest of the Hebrew people. And everybody turned on Moses and said, why did you, why did you mess up the apple cart here? Why did you have to rock the boat? Things weren't so bad. Well, a few chapters later, they were crying out to God, please come and save us, things are so bad. But after this one incident, when they realize Moses is not going to be able to walk in and just get them their freedom and they'll be free to go, not even knowing where they're going to go at that point, um, realizing that it's not going to be so easy, they suddenly turn on Moses. And what does Moses do? Moses turns on God and says, why did you have me do this? Why did you instigate any of this. We did what you told us to do, and you didn't deliver your people. 
So again, he's not thinking back to what God actually did tell him because this is going right according to God's plan. But we sometimes mistake success, which is a worldly measure of whether we're doing right or not, success, victory, accomplishment, we sometimes mistake that for what God actually wants from us, which is faithfulness. And sometimes those are very different things. So these passages here in, in these chapters, uh, in Exodus 4 and 5, I think give us a, a really good understanding of what it means to be God's people and what it means to lead um, as you're following God, to lead others, and to know that many times it's not going to look like success the way the world measures success and the way that we want to we are naturally inclined to want to measure success what god is looking for from all of us is faithfulness because all those other details he's going to take care of well thank you for joining us again uh, for our friday weekly wrap up and we will see you next week I'd love to hear your thoughts um, on what it means to follow God and, and what you're seeing in these scriptures as we're, we're going along. Um, you are uh, invited to put those in the comments below, um, and I will uh, be glad to, to be reading them. Thank you. This is Tony Franklin. Thank you for joining us for Jesus Politics in our journey through Exodus. See you all next Friday.